I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And we are getting wild in Winnipeg with one of the hottest wrestlers in the business right now. And one of the greatest talkers of all time and me all from Winnipeg. I'm talking about Kenny Omega. First of all, just headline the Tokyo Dome in Japan as part of the main event of New Japan's Wrestle Kingdom 11. They are calling it the the greatest match of all time, some people. They're saying it's the first ever six-star match. This is the first ever seven-star podcast, all right? Omega versus Okada was a classic. If you haven't seen it, go find it on YouTube. And, of course, Don Callis, Cyrus from Killing the Town, also on the Jericho Network. He's a blowhard. He's top talent. He's over. He's from Overwood. Uh, I know that you guys are going to love, love this conversation. If you haven't subscribed to Killing the Town with Cyrus and Storm, Lance Storm, my old uh, old uh, partner in crime, you guys got to know it's the one to listen to on the Jericho Network. Anyways, I was over in Winnipeg during the holidays. We got wild in Winnipeg. Don and I met up with uh, Kenny Omega at uh, a fine, fine uh, hotel boardroom there. Uh, we're going to give all the props later on in the show to all the people that made this happen. It's a great conversation that you're going to hear. The three of us all from Winnipeg talking wrestling. Kenny's talking about his character and transition from cruiserweight to heavyweight to Tokyo Dome headliner at New Japan. You hear how he got started in wrestling. Tough decision he made to leave WWE Developmental to pursue his own pro wrestling path. He's got a great story and tons of great wrestling stories. Not to mention the fact it's a little bit controversial right now where he's going to end up. This This show was taped before the Tokyo Dome show, before his controversial texts and tweets that he's been sending out, uh, the texts and tweets that John Cena has been sending out. No one really knows for sure what Kenny Omega's future is. What I do know for sure is your future. You're going to be entertained by Kenny Omega and Cyrus. We're getting wild in Winnipeg here on Talk is Jericho. So make sure you check it out. Make sure you never uh, miss any of the amazing guests and stories on Talk is Jericho. You should sign up for the automated email alerts to prevent that from happening at podcastone.com slash Jericho. 
You'll always be in the know and you'll never miss an episode. Sign up now at podcastone.com slash Jericho. Get all the 411 on upcoming Talk is Jericho shows. And in addition to the great sponsors of this show, once again, like I said, I got to give a shout out to Joe Sacco at Canad Inns for allowing us to record uh, Wild in Winnipeg at his fine, fine, uh, his fine, fine establishment. Literally could not have done this interview without him. So thank you, Joe Sacco at Canad Inns. Thanks to Don Callis, Cyrus for setting it all up. And thanks to Kenny Omega for being here. It's wild in Winnipeg here on Talk is Jericho. I'm from Winnipeg, you idiot. You, everyone's These on. Are on. These are all on. Everybody's on. We're officially on the air. And this is something I wanted to do because I've been wanting to talk to Kenny Omega for a while, uh, even more so when I found out that he's from Winnipeg. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to get the three, probably, let's give ourselves a pat on the back, probably the three biggest stars in pro wrestling from Winnipeg, with the exception of the late, great Roddy Piper. And we'll talk about if he actually was from Winnipeg or not. You're and, not throwing Bob Brown into this. Well, yeah, he was from Kansas City, though. Or was he from, no, he was, he was from, from Winnipeg, Winnipeg, wasn't he? Right, so we got Don Callis, who's now uh, the, the bell of the podcast ball. Now everyone loves him, everyone hates him, whatever. But this, this is a pretty cool uh, a combination of like three generations of Winnipeg uh, wrestlers that have been around the world. I was at three generations. I'm like two years older. Well, but you're still older. Jesus. I think you're actually in your fi- Are you 50 now? I'm not 50. Okay. <laughs> that Lance, Lance is 50. <laughs> it's three generations. Act 60. Well, you were, you were in the WWE in the 90s is what I mean. Correct. And I was there in the 2000s up till now. Oh, I see where we're Kenny's just coming on the scene. That's like three separate eras, I guess you'd say, right? I'm happy with that Right. So, Kenny, so you are yeah. back now because you're doing huge business in Japan. You're about ready to headline the Tokyo Dome, which for people that don't quite get for a gaijing, a foreigner, mm. is huge that's that's huge to say that you were able to do that yeah it just doesn't really happen and uh, i'm thrust into this very unique situation of being the main event of the tokyo dome i know it has happened before i think the last guy to do it was brock lesnar and by no means shape way form or fashion would i compare myself to someone like that but um for someone of my style and my stature to do that it's really um it just doesn't happen so I'm just kind of staying faithful to what brought me to the dance, so to speak, and I'm um, just going to go there and try my best. But it's been a huge year for you because basically since AJ left New Japan, mm. you kind of were put into that position of like the top foreign guy in the company. Yeah, the company was uh, it was in a scramble and in a state of disarray. We had two of our very top stars, Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ, just suddenly up and leave the company. And, you know, no hard feelings. Everyone understood the opportunity that was before them. But the company didn't know what to do with themselves. And they had no plan because in the matter of uh, a day, the, the, the transition period between the Tokyo Dome, the fourth, and then the fifth, which was the, the day to start the next year's storylines, they didn't know what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. So they just said, okay, Kenny, um, you know, AJ was the leader of the Bullet Club. You are in the Bullet Club. Well, figure it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and there you go. Uh, so myself and the Young Bucks, I believe you've had the Young Bucks on the, sh- have, on the yeah. show. Yeah, they, they love you. I met them in the studio for the first right. time as we were about to talk. Same yeah, as today. so me and the Young Bucks, we, we got together and we said, okay, you know, this is a chance to really show what we're all about and change something. And then thus was me turning on AJ and creating the elite and sort of putting a, a different spin on what the Bullet Club was up to that point. What I like about this too, and, and, and it's interesting, and Don, you might agree with me on this, is it's cool to see in this day and age that you can be a guy like Kenny or the Young Bucks and make a great living and make a great impact and not even have to worry about being in the States at all at this point in time. It wasn't like that just a few years ago. No, I think, and that's one of the things we talked about on Killing the Town is 
If I were giving advice to a young guy who maybe had an option to go into developmental at, say, 25, mm-hmm. um, I would probably say, you know what? Take two years, work in Japan if you can, work in the UK, work some of these big independents, develop a style that's going to differentiate you. Because I think one of the challenges when you have one system, everyone hits the ropes the same, everyone mm-hmm. starts to look the same. And from a character perspective, if you're, if you're learning on live TV how to be a certain character, that's probably not where you want to make those mistakes. Make the mistakes when you're out doing the indies sure. and you come up. Like I look at Kenny and I go, when he was 19 years old, he was a very different character than his current character. Mm-hmm. But that's a process of the journey, I suspect. Mm. But you also said, too, that you're, was this, what's the connection between you and, and Kenny and his family? So, so, and I actually never knew this until, uh, so, so Kenny's uncle, uh, Larry, uh, was the Golden Sheik, who was a manager right, yeah. for Tony Candelo, and was a guy who had like he just had like natural heat. He's a great manager, and he was like the first guy to kind of take me under his wing when I was young and really crappy. He was my manager, and we were like a heel tandem. I never knew that there was the connection. I think until Kenny called me to say a few words at the funeral, mm. and I was like, the Sheik never told me. Wow, okay, I've got a nephew, nephew in the wrestling yeah. business. And he and I would interact on if I had a show. It was like he was, even when he was 19, he was one of maybe two guys locally I would use. But he never told me, the Sheik never told me, so I never knew. Because <laughs> so I probably would have taken a much greater interest to kind of go like, well, oh, pass right. on whatever I can because the Sheik helped me. And that's what we're talking about, the fact that, that you're from Winnipeg, Canada. I never had no idea until maybe about a year ago. I think Owens right. and Sammy yeah. told me because I said, "Well, what's up with that Kenny Omega guy? He's doing pretty good." He's like, "Yeah, you know, he's a he's a good guy, and he's a little bit quirky. He's a little bit weird." And I go, "Where's he from?" He's like, "Winnipeg." I'm like, "Well, first of all, that's why he's quirky and weird. Yeah, he's from Winnipeg." Makes sense. Second of all, what? So you grew up in Winnipeg, and yes. your uncle's a wrestler. Did that kind of influence you and want to get into the biz? I had no idea my uncle was a wrestler until very late into his. Well, he had long since retired. I had already started wrestling and it wasn't until actually um some of don's trainees had told me hey yeah we got this guy showing up at her training every now and then he he goes apparently he was somebody saying that he was a golden sheik he offers some good advice he's just a real nice guy and he's just there to hang out <laughs> and um from there on in um i had learned a little bit about my uncle's past had seen some of his tapes after after the funeral people had told stories about how he would come in secrecy to watch my local stuff hmm. so i didn't even know he was supporting me from behind the scenes really yeah it, it's just i guess we we have a little bit of a in our family a little bit of a wrestling background and did, i did you start in winnipeg the same way that don and i did with candelo and all that sort of stuff or? i did a lot of shows for candelo i did the uh i did northern tours i did some of his tv stuff that don had booked actually um but I started actually originally with a company called RCW for Wayne Stanton. Uh, River City Wrestling? River City Wrestling. <laughs> yeah. That went out of business briefly. And um, then I started my, restarted my training with TRCW. Uh, and that was under Bobby J. Bobby J was yeah. your trainer? Uh, no, he was not my trainer. My, my, my trainer, quote unquote, was Vance Nevada. But uh, he wasn't uh, as hands-on. I, I pretty much just had a key in an empty building to train in. So Just go in by yourself? Yeah, I could go in by myself. But there was a couple dudes, um, local guys, uh, Mentolo and uh, the Big O, actually, someone that Don had used locally. And they helped me out. And So what did you think, Don, when you were promoting at this point in time? Because I'm assuming this was probably 10 years ago or so. 
yeah, longer. We're talking 14, 14. So you were still promoting in in, in Winnipeg? I was promoting Winnipeg with Tony and Joe, and then I was promoting Thunder Bay was actually my big town. So what did you think when you said, what was your name, Kenny Omega at the time? It was, yeah. I mean, I used Kenny Omega since... Right, backyarding with my friends. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I think like he would have been like eighteen or nineteen at yep. the time, so yep. he literally was a kid. Yeah. Um, what and I did not have a habit of booking local guys. What I noticed, and I was telling him earlier, was the first time I saw him in the ring, I I looked at Tony. I said, "He moves like Muda," because the way he moved in the ring, even back then. It was just different. Mm-hmm. Not to compare him to Muda at 19, but you know how Muda had that different way of that yeah. frenetic, yeah. and he had that. And you could tell he was athletic because he was very light on his feet. And so I was like, I'm gonna book that guy. And I don't, you know, I booked him as you would book a 19-year-old guy without a lot of experience. I put him in a tag match. He did some really great spots even back then. And you know he was a 19-year-old guy with a lot of ability, and you know you see kind of the result of it. What did you think of, uh, of Don Callis when you first met him? Because I, I never, I didn't like he, him. I first. was like a god, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I'm gonna be honest, I, I'd watched a lot of IWA TV. We had did you the, really? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. So I'd seen stuff with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, matches that you had with uh, Ultimate Dragon, right? And uh, they played every second week your match with Rick, uh, the cage match with Ty- oh, Martel. Yeah, Titan. Rick Martel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, I, I think that's the one where Lance Storm does a crossbody off the top, right? Off a very rickety cage. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what an athlete. What an athlete. Yeah. If, you weren't, if you were only 5'8 uh, instead of 5'7, yeah. you could be an athlete. <laughs> yeah, Lance thought that like Kenny's Lance five, uh, Lance yeah. told Don that Kenny was 5'7. He's got to be yeah. close to 6'1. Six, six so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you watched the IWA right TV, so even right. before I had you know the Winnipeg bias you know like oh he's one of our hometown guys I love Don Callis um that wasn't it I I just thought that Don was legitimately a great wrestler mm-hmm. and um without even knowing really what psychology was how to implement it or or how it affects a match I knew that there was special things about Don's matches. Like, how could a guy that isn't really doing the athletic stuff that I love to watch and do, how am I still emotionally invested in these matches? And, you know, that's really the, the glory of psychology. When you can get it right, and mm-hmm. Don could always get it right. No bumps, I think. Was, I think I had that on the back of my tights. No bumps. No bumps. Did you ever put that on the back of your tights? <laughs> no. You should have. I might. So, so, but, but, but when you were starting doing all these kind of indies, because like mm-hmm. you, you just mentioned before we started talking on how you basically went from indies to Japan. Because, yeah. Like, once again, I'd never heard the name until I started reading about right. you in Japan. Yeah. So uh, I had done uh, a little bit of indies, and then the way that it had worked locally was that you know, IW, it was IWA, right? And then it was, and then became No Holds Barred. NHB. NHB. Right. So, what you guys were doing, your production was our WWE. We were always aspiring to be part of those shows. So, that was sort of the first big step for me. Once that had disappeared, you know, we had to think about okay, wait a minute, you know, our WWE, quote unquote, is, is now gone. We have to think outside of these borders, or, you know, we just have to accept that we're doing this as a hobby. Uh, we have to grow as performers. So I started to think about taking trips outside of Winnipeg, and there was an NWA convention that was held in Winnipeg. They had brought in a bunch of outside talent. I had wrestled Petey Williams, who was the uh, NWA exhibition champion at the time, and the match went went well. And I think for me that was a great confidence boost, and I thought I can actually have good matches and perform at a pace that is beyond Winnipeg now. <laughs> so I should think about maybe just trying, you know. So I had went to a, a, a camp with Harley Race. He does a camp once a year right. at WLW in um, 
Eldon, Missouri. And the winners of this camp, it was treated like a competition. They would go to Pro Wrestling Noah and be inserted into their dojo system because going to Japan was like the end goal. It's what I really wanted to do. And why is that? Were you a fan, um, fan of all that? I was, yeah. Um, for the longest time, um, ECW is like the place where I just really wanted to go. I fell in love with um, you know, watching highly athletic and sort of not rated R, but you know, PG sure PG fourteen style wrestling. I mean, I was a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm gonna like this hard edge type stuff. It was about at that time because the ECW used a lot of guys that had experience all over the world. Sure, I mean they're their forte, right? Yeah, so they were using guys like Taka. They were using guys like Jinsei Shinsaki and and um, you know Mike Awesome and uh, who's an ECW guy, but Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka. They had mm-hmm. that series there. And I just I fell in love with that type of style, and um, I also loved that all the guys that went from ECW to WWE had a certain kind of impact upon their arrival. And I just thought that was really cool. Like they were known as, you know, the ECW guys invading WWE, and I'd thought that as cool as it would be to go directly to WWE or F at the time, whatever mm-hmm. it was it'd be great to have that kind of decorated resume and then coming into a situation where people knew who you were already. Right, sure, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I did a lot of studying, uh, bought a lot of tapes from RF video or whatever it was. At, uh, <laughs> what a concept of tapes, right? Yeah, yeah. There's no YouTube back at that time. Yeah, so I was always, I was buying like matches of the decade, you know, volume one, matches of the decade, volume two and three. So I would, I would learn that way, who was good, who was bad, um, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of guys I should be studying and what the, what the landscape was out there. And I just, I fell in love with, with Japan and I already loved the culture and wanted to go there as a vacation spot anyway. Um, so when you went to the Harley race camp, then, then it was with that intention. Right. Yeah. Like this is going to be the big step one, you know, I'm going to have my dojo experience kind of like how, you know, you, um, had experience in Japan and Mexico and all of ECW mm-hmm. before finally, you know, I wanted to be, it, it sort of felt like the right way. Right. You know right, what I mean? Sure. Sure. Yeah. So did you go to Noah first then? No. What happened was Noah. <laughs> um, what happened was as a surprise, Harley introduced the grand prize of this competition. And that was Johnny Ace coming out and saying that they're going to offer a WWE contract um, to the, mm. the, stand, the camp standout. Really? And yes. Yes. So even though I was gunning for Noah, I ended up being the guy to win this developmental contract with WWE. So for a year, and I believe it was 2005 to six, or six to seven, um, I was in Deep South Wrestling. You're kidding me, I didn't yeah, know Yeah, so I was employed by you guys wow. at a certain point was, in time. Was it Jody Hamilton was yes, that yes, one? Yes, yes, that's the one, who yeah. Else, who else was there with you? In, in terms of like the wrestlers, uh, Miz was there. Right when I showed up, he was just there packaging him for TV, so he was only there for a little bit. Yeah. One one of the Ascension guys, I think it's called the Ascension. So there's a few guys. But there was a few yeah. dudes, yeah. And there's some, um, you know, Sonny Siaki was there. A couple of guys that I keep in touch with now that are my friends are there. Is a good group of guys. Mm-hmm. They're all very nice. But the experience just kind of reinforced more what I had thought already was that I really need to make something of myself outside of here before coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I, I mean, I was a nobody. And I understood that I was a nobody and that these guys are going to treat me like a nobody and not trust me with anything any of my own ideas but i had felt that i could be this guy that could make this company millions and millions of dollars but i just had to prove first that i could do that on my Mm -hmm. own by my own accord 
Um, Prove it so to I, yourself. Exactly. And yeah, exactly. They, am I just insane? Am I am I just this weird kid? You know what I mean? <laughs> weird and quirky. Yeah, Winnipeg. yeah, yeah. Am I from Winnipeg? You know. <laughs> uh, so I decided to to put in my um, my notice and uh, give it give it another shot in the Indies and see if I could get to Japan and hmm. work my way from the bottom up there. It must have been kind of a, a tough decision to kind of walk away. It was. Um, and uh, I remember that the morale there was really low at one point in time. And Johnny Ace had said, hey, I've heard that a lot of guys don't like it here and they want to quit. And if that's the case, just come talk to me first and we'll have a chat. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I was – my morale, the day-to-day stuff wasn't good because the morale was low. Like mm-hmm. it sucked to be around such negativity all of the time. But I didn't mind the training. I loved the physicality of the training, contrary to what – other people might think I, I loved doing a ton of push-ups and squats and running that that stuff is all fine by me it was that I felt that there was no light at the end of the tunnel like I was always just gonna be this kid that was treated as a green piece of trash and right you know what I mean and there's no way to grow from that uh, so I talked to Johnny and said like hey look I'm not gonna lie when you met me at the camp I had really just wanted to go to Japan and I do feel like I can make something of myself there. And I think I could be of more use to you if you understand that first and foremost, you know, I'm, I'm a star coming from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even looking back at it now, some guy who's just a no one telling you like, Hey, I can be a star here. What do you think? You know, why would you believe him? Mm-hmm. You know, but Johnny was cool about it. And he said like, Hey, I have contacts in all Japan. I'll let you know and see if I can send you out there. If that's really the path you want to take, um, I, I know that you're talented. I saw you in person. We can send you out there. And when you're ready, let me know because the door is always open. Johnny was always That's super. Well, Johnny cool would understand the, the benefits yes. of working in Japan. Definitely. Right? Yes. Yeah. yes. So I felt like I was talking to the right guy mm-hmm. to begin he with. Would understand. Yeah. Yeah. Things fell through and I wasn't able to go to all Japan. He'd said that, okay, you have no name value and they just can't accommodate, <laughs> you know, just some mark at this point in time. <laughs> so good luck in your future endeavors. Um, and that, that part was crushing because I had thought I was going to segue from one thing to another. Straight into another, Exa- yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then it was that, that period where I had to feel, I guess I had to regain that hunger again. And so I just went back to the, I took a little bit of time away to think about what I was going to do next. And I just started plugging away again. And, and here we are today, I guess. But it's interesting, though, like, like, like you said, Don, about having the, the international experience and having like a little bit of a different outlook. But I think also, too, and you'll probably appreciate this because you did it as well. It gives you life experience when you travel around, yes. not just being in one place and going into a foreign country and trying to find something to eat at two in the morning or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Well, I think, too, it's like. It gives you perspective. I mean, so I went, my first international trip was South Africa. I worked in front of people who thought this was a shoot and wanted to murder me. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result of that, when I was in ECW and I would be warned about crowds, it didn't bother me and I was able to push the line. So I'm like, well, I survived that. What are these? These people aren't going <laughs> to shoot me. They may punch me, right? Yeah, exactly. So you, and all of those trips and all of those experiences shape you along the road. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what, Kenny's describing that he did took a lot of balls, took a lot of balls to walk away and go do your own thing. Cause a lot, cause the easy thing to do would just be to stick there. Um, because you probably had a lot of people saying like, what are you crazy? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, I feel that a lot of people too fall into this trap. Indie wrestlers, they just want to see WWE on the paycheck. They don't care if they're riding the pine. They don't care if they're spinning their wheels. Mm. They just want to be there. That's enough. Um, I want to be contributing and I want to be making a difference 
And that is why, even though I could have just done what I had been doing, uh, been an enhancement guy on, on their developmental TV and collected a paycheck, I think after my three-year term had been up, I don't think they would have resigned me. Yeah. You know, what did I show? You know what I mean? What did I prove? Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately for a lot of guys that are at the performance center right now, they will unfortunately never show what they really have to offer because, you know, they just marked out to have the check. Mm-hmm. You know, they just wanted to be an employee for the company, which is fine. And that's a great end goal. Um, but for me, I, I wanted to make a little bit of a lateral movement and come back to the issue when I showed what I was truly capable of. Well, absolutely. And like I said, that, that doesn't last very long either. If you do show up to, for, you know, if you're working in developmental or NXT, just in the yeah. lower end, if you, when you get fired, it's, it's hard to get back in definitely to the, to any type of position there. Cause mm-hmm. you know, that, that, I think a lot of guys go there too quickly I as agree. well. I mean, I told Harry Smith that years ago when he said he wanted to quit and go back to Japan, it's like, why wouldn't you, man? You're like not even 30 years old. You're not doing anything here and you have a big potential and a big upside. Go back over there and see how it goes. And it was good that you did that too, Kenny. And I think something I wanted to bring up between the three of us as well. I think from growing up in Winnipeg, we do have a a tougher mental and physical Mm. attitude because growing up here, it's not like it's the Wild West, but it's not easy to grow up in Winnipeg. You know what I mean? It does toughen you, I think. Yeah. And just as a wrestler, we're not in the ideal geographical location. Mm -hmm. If... I am looking to get work at, you know, insert name here. That's going to be an expensive flight. How am I going to prove that I'm worth that flight? I've got to be good. Right. So I have to make sure that I'm trained. I got to make sure that, you know, when I think of how I put my matches together, when I think about how I'm making this character, that it's going to get over with fans and that I'm giving them their money's worth and making the promoter money on top of that too. So I can't just be a guy that, okay, if I get in my car and drive half hour away, I'm working for the best indie in, in America or whatever, and, and that's good enough. Mm-hmm. I had to hold myself to a higher standard just to get work. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure it was the same for you as well. It was a little bit easier for you because I had a dual citizenship. Oh, this, yeah. But it was the same, though. I mean, yeah. I, I realized really early on that you're not going to make a big mark just being in Winnipeg. You have to get out and go other places. And once mm-hmm. again, that life experience comes in very handy. The, the hard thing, too, here was there really wasn't a support system. Like, so. How do you mean? Well, so when Jerry Morrow and Gama and Bad News, well, really Jerry and Gama came here in 94. Um, Jerry took me under his wing and he's like, I'm going to watch your matches. I'm going to tell you, he's very hard on me because Jerry's Mm -hmm. very tough, but there was no one here to do that. I mean, the Sheik was really cool to me, but the Sheik hadn't been booked anywhere. Right. He doesn't know. Tony was a promoter and he gave me good business advice, but there was no one giving you that wrestling advice. So it became very hard. And I like both all of us, I quickly realized like, okay, as long as I'm getting these overseas trips, I'm going to stay wrestling. The minute that had stopped, Mm -hmm. because in 94, I said, I'm giving myself two years to get a tryout with Vince. And then then if I don't, I'm out. Mm -hmm. The minute those trips had stopped, I would have stopped because I'd already done everything here locally that you could do TV, whatever. And it's like, you don't have that support system. So when I kind of moved on, I tried on a couple of occasions with a couple of guys to be that support system. But the weird thing was, and we were talking about this earlier in Winnipeg, Guys would be like, no, I'm going to listen to Bobby J or, mm-hmm. you know, Jabroni number two who trained me. And I'd be like, would you take your car to a mechanic who'd never been under the hood? Like, <laughs> like nothing against some of these it's guys. The right? They've never it's been yeah. anywhere. Right. How can yeah. they tell you how to get there? Yeah, exactly. But guys here didn't want to listen. And so I just gave up and said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to help guys because they're not listening. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's why I moved to Calgary. I remember when, when I was first starting to wanting to train, my dad actually had a conversation with Candelo about training and kind of got a little bit of a F off 
do you have any money on you right now? Basically, yeah. <laughs> and then we go to Calgary where, I mean, it was basically the same, but Calgary was Calgary. It had the yes. vibe of being Calgary and Stampede Wrestling. It doesn't have the vibe anymore since Winnipeg has beaten Calgary, but that's a whole other <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. still, the place to go, right? To be there, um, you knew that you couldn't get that in, in, in Winnipeg, which is what we're basically all yeah. saying, you know? Yeah. You know, that, that is funny because you did have the uh, Winnipeg versus Calgary debate on killing the town. It wasn't much of a debate. It was a slaughter, wasn't no, it's, it? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, according to Lance, it's, it's his fans that won it. I mean, the funny thing about his that. His fans we, being Kenny's. Yeah, yeah. Well, of so course. We're chatting about it, and I was like, he's like, is, was that a shoot? And I'm like, well, I put the tweet out just to twig Lance. And it was basically just to give a background of what it was. It was the same. Basically, I, I was thinking one day, I'm like, Okay, wait a minute. I was like, because someone had mentioned to Kenny to me, and I was like, okay, well, you got Kenny, you got Jericho, you got Piper, then you got me on the other end there. I'm like, that's a pretty good four guys who made it, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, who's from Calgary? Like, actually from Calgary? It's like, well, it's the heart. So, like, Brett Owen, okay, yeah. I get it. Oh, I'm going to put out a tweet about this, you know, just to get a little attention. And Lance, like, I think, legit got hot. Of course he did. And he's, like, getting hot. So then we, we decide <laughs> to make it a thing. And, uh, and I said to Lance, I go, you know, I said, I know – you know, you just don't like the fact that Omega is a better athlete than you. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't go over well. <laughs> That's when you, you lost five inches of height in his eyes. Right, yeah. <laughs> all right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Hey, amigas, see? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words, sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. What is it that you did over the past year from going from basically a junior heavyweight guy right. to being the main event of the Tokyo Dome? That's a great question. What I wanted to do was I wanted to kind of vault. I thought it was a good chance to vault the company more from being the king of strong style, which is, you know, a highly it's, it's a traditional Japanese wrestling style. Sure. And I wanted to make it more universally entertaining. Uh, by that I mean, you know, have a style that's easily understood not only by the live house fans, which is always important. You want to impress the fans that are there to enjoy the show, but we have a streaming service just like the network, and um, it's important to make sure that those viewers are having a good time too. So I tried to—I wouldn't say innovate; it's not an innovation, but just make my style a little more easily understood universally. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, you know, when I had any sort of mic time, I would make sure to make the most of it, make it entertaining, make it fun for people. I think it's so important. So how do you do it? Because you're talking about mic time in Japan. Right. Where people kind of understand English, but not completely. Yeah. A, I was lucky because the people understand from my, my time on the Indies that I do speak Japanese. Do you? Yes, I do. How did you learn to speak Japanese? Oh, um, I had a friend in, uh, in, you know, from the Indies when I was in Japan, and he had went to college in, in America. So he was bilingual perfectly. And I... I had really wanted to, to know Japanese. Mm -hmm. I wanted to understand how to speak it. I thought it would help my career. Sure. But I mean, it's easy to say that, but not, not so easy to do. So I would write little uh you know go-to phrases and mm -hmm. i would say could you please translate this for me and i would i would memorize it and then could you translate this for me and i'd memorize it and i would have these uh little cheat notes in my cell phone and uh eventually i would i, I had amassed so many of these notes that i was able to pick apart the grammar and the words and i was able to structure my own sentences based off of that mm -hmm. so once i built up, up my own vocabulary i could speak kind of a very uh, simplified version of Japanese and then I built upon that and upon that. See, that's great because I tried to learn how to speak Japanese too, but I found that like there's different uh, uh, types of Japanese depending mm -hmm. on part of the country you're in. You know, Sapporo is different from, you know, Osaka, yes, different yes, from yes, Fukuoka. Yes. And so there's nothing worse when you're trying to learn a language when you try and speak it and people just look at you and have no idea what you're saying. Yeah. That kills your confidence pretty quickly. Definitely. Especially if it's just a small little nuance at the end, added at the end of a sentence or whatever and it changes the entire way you're perceiving like, yeah. yeah, it's you know, difficult. And it's like, I, I remember going into a, like a, a restaurant where they have the little rubber versions of all the foods. Yeah. You know, want. And I said, you know, hot hot cake or something, a hot cake. And yeah, like, pancakes, what? yeah. Hot cake. And they're like, what? I'm like, these freaking things right there. I'm like, oh, hot cakey. I'm like, yeah, if I'm yeah, saying yeah, hot yeah, cake. Yeah. <laughs> And it's hot cakey. Like, come yeah. on, work with me here, man. Yeah. But it's hard. So I learned how to read it. Yes. Oh, wow. I how to read katakana. Oh, that's a, I, that's very impressive. And I never, yeah, usually people learn how to speak it before learning how to read it. So. And I was backwards. I wanted to at least have some sort of form of communication. Yeah. So, Don, did you ever learn uh, any Japanese? Uh, just enough to get my face slapped, kid. <laughs> I went to Japan with uh, Michael Zansky, so uh, we had some bar phrases down. <laughs> He was great. He tried to teach me uh, Spanish when I went to Mexico with him. And he was like, uh, he's like, si ilo means uh, uh, without ice. So oh. I go ask for water, si ilo. And they look at me, si ilo. I found out later on when I learned how to speak Spanish, it's sin yellow. Like, uh, oh. agua sin yellow, por favor. But not si ilo, Mikey. You know, God bless him. So give me an example of a Japanese promo that you might cut uh, on the fans. A quick couple seconds worth. Uh, go. Yeah, cut a, pro <laughs> cut a promo on, on Don right now and tell him you're going to beat him for the championship. Tell, him, tell me how great I am and all that. Yeah, well, yeah. He's, uh, it's tough when I get put in the spot. And I'm okay. actually advised by my company to not speak Japanese at all as a, as a, as a heel guy right now. Oh, they don't want you to speak no, Japanese? No, they don't. That, oh. that, that was part of the whole character, which ah. is why I was saying like it, it adds to the the mystique i suppose of kenny omega in new japan the guy that on the indies was speaking japanese and now suddenly he is not oh you refused right exactly i refuse I, I don't like the people i don't like this country anymore i'm focusing on my career gotcha so i would kind of use that to my advantage in in these promos to use easy to understand english but then i would sprinkle in a, a japanese word here or there mm -hmm. just to remind people that yeah i get your language yeah yeah, yeah yeah so i mean there's that dynamic but then what i'm saying is easily understood by the by the viewers around the world mm -hmm. so or i mean not 
completely around the world, but I mean, yeah, you know, in the UK, yeah, Canada, America, yeah, but, a large portion of our just fan give base. me one sentence of Japanese, like, hey, Chris, how you doing? What's going on? Or like, and it, like, just to hear the the. Oh, I mean, there's. I mean, if I was just to ask how you how you are, I'd be like, you know, Kenichiwa, Chris, you know, Genki desu ka, kind of thing. That's pretty easy. Yeah, of course, everyone knows that. Yeah. Um, you know, WWE, Asaikin do desu ka to ka. You know how how has WWE been lately? That's cool, man. Yeah. I always I like the fact that, that you can do that because I'll tell you something else about Japanese fans. The fact you know on a shoot, the fact they know that you took the time to learn Japanese mm. just ingratiates you with the with those people, and you'll have a job there for the rest of your life as a result. You know? Yeah, um, it never feels like it's enough. You know, I always feel like I want to learn more. Wow. So what do you? How is it living in Japan? Is I'm sure there's some cultural differences there. Yeah, there's definitely. Um, it's weird because I, I still feel like I'm a tourist when we're on tour mm-hmm. because I'm in a busload of, of foreign wrestlers and I never have to speak Japanese. Um, I'm speaking English with all these dudes, right? If the Young Bucks are there, I'm always with the Young Bucks. Like we're, right. we're doing everything together. So um, if I'm speaking Japanese, it's only to help them order food or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Sure, sure. Yeah. When you to... do like the, the like a talk show or something like that, do you go and speak? Oh pure Japanese? yeah, like we would do um, before. Yeah, that would have like uh, we would do TV and stuff a lot, like variety uh, TV. I guess they would call it, where you know they have a couple comedians and they're talking about some sort of topic that's in the news, and they'll have various guests. Like, okay, this guy's a soccer player. Mm-hmm. This guy plays golf, and here's a professional wrestler, and uh, he's from Canada. So. Um, you know, I sort of have that, um, I guess, the Jackie Chan effect where, you know, that the, the language that I'm speaking isn't going to sound native, mm-hmm. but, you know, the way I do speak it is it, it can be understood and it's kind of cute. Sure. You know sure. Yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, look at the Canadian speaking yeah, Japanese. Yeah. Right? It's like we know what he's trying to say. He says, but, you know, it's not completely fluid of course it isn't you some know of I mean? those shows are pretty wacky though right right have you yeah, been yeah. on any of the ones i haven't do done an actual shit? wacky one i've been you know so i'm not going to be eating any live squids or like <laughs> monkey balls or whatever <laughs> i saw one one time where these guys were uh they're waiting and there's like there's like a, a it's a race and there's a finish line and at the finish line there's a toilet and the basically whoever can last the longest without going pee wins right. so they're just drinking all this water and then they put them oh. like in a like they, they're just standing there doing the pee pee dance yeah, and it's yeah, got yeah. the last one, one hour two hours yeah, yeah. these guys just like oh they're just oversawing like and you're watching it it's like yeah. engrossing to see it's like amazing to watch yeah it's so nuts over there right i mean some of those shows i would love to do like there was one much like we were talking about you're standing on a conveyor belt and uh, they send these walls at you at high speed with like a human body cut out in it, and you have to mimic <laughs> the cutout. Otherwise, you're getting smoked like by the wall. Yeah, exactly. Shit, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, things like that. I would love to do, and and I'm not I'm not worried about being embarrassed. Like I love being embarrassed. I love doing fun things for the fans and mm-hmm. fun things for myself. You know, Just it helps yourself. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Entertained. Yeah. Don, did you ever read any of those magazines over in Japan? Uh, no, I was more into the uh, the live entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> I remember oh, the first. Oh, whatever do you no, mean? No, no digitization. Yeah. Yeah. The first night uh, uh, I went to Japan, when Lance and I were there in '91. They took us to a Filipino drinking bar. Oh yeah, where it's Those like are very famous. You're very yeah. famous. You mm-hmm. go there, and as you know, you sit down. The girls they pour the drinks for you, and they give you food, and they treat you like you're, you know, like you're the big star. And like mm-hmm. you know, being a 19 year old kid talking about 19 over in Japan, like all these 
girls are in love with me. Like I'm going to bang all of them. This is great. And then of course you're waiting. And at the end of the night, they're all, of course, they're just all over you. And yeah, they finally, don't go Chris. Yeah. You know, don't go. Course. Don't yeah, go. Yeah. You buy another beer. And I didn't know that you had to actually pay oh, for yeah. whiskey too. So all the girls left and I didn't take any of them home. And I got a bill, I think for like 15,000, $1,500 for the whiskey that I drank. Oh, I, had this, I was making 600 oh, bucks a week too. I had the same deal when I was in Japan for Tokyo pro, uh, me and Mike and Scorp, and a couple other guys. Scorpio, like Fly Scorpio? Too cool Scorpio? Uh, too cool Scorpio. Yeah. We're like walking. We're in some small town, and we're walking down the street. We see these really pretty girls, so we like start following them, right? Like, hey, what? And they kind of go ahead, and they went down this alley, and then like there's a dead end. It's like, where the hell did they go? And there was just like you're this. Like, you're feeling around the brick. Yeah, there's like a garbage <laughs> door. It's like a garbage chute. We opened what? that. It was a door. And we walked in, and it was this like lavish club with all these Russian girls, right? Oh, wow. And uh, so like, oh, yeah. So they're like buying drinks. And then about 5 o'clock, all the Japanese business guys would come in, and they'd have their, their scotch and stuff that was already there. And this old Japanese guy sat down. He thought we were hilarious. He started, you know, he's, you know we're all drinking, and the girls went. And then it's like um, Scorp goes, Don, look at the bill. And it was about $1,500, right, right, right. and which would have been my week. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. But the Japanese guy, who this time is so hammered, it's unbelievable, just paid for everything, right, right, right. which yeah, was thankfully. tremendous. Yeah, that's like yeah. you said. They don't tell you that part of it. Yeah. Do, you, do you do a lot of stuff with sponsors and stuff, Kenny? I mean, yeah. There? Um, there's a lot of you know business like sponsor-type uh, meetings, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm just pretty much doing a match and then being able to enjoy, you know, the greatest food that the town has to offer mm-hmm. on the house <laughs> yeah so uh and and those are always readily available like if you if you have after every match there's definitely somebody willing to take you out somewhere and that's one of the greatest parts of being in japan is that you never really have to uh struggle to find someone that's willing to take care of you there they go to give you money or they go to shake your hand say good night and give you money for the taxi and they put the yeah, money in your hand you exactly. leave you look there's like you know ten thousand yen or twenty thousand yen. the taxi's like 200 yen. Yeah, yeah. I used to love that. I would always wait and see what did I get today? What did I get today? But I mean, that's 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 one thing I always loved about Japan. I still love going there, mm. even when we go with the WWE. Is just the respect level I find. Yes. Not that people don't respect wrestling here, but it's a different level there. It's like a real uh, superstar, high quality athlete sort of a thing. Yeah. I feel like now things are a little different. I mean, like in the buildings, people respect wrestling a lot in America now mm-hmm. um, and wrestlers are treated more so like superstars and sports athletes uh, it's once you step out of those those doors right. you, know, you kind of become just like a normal Joe again right, right, right. which is fine you know, I, I don't mind being a normal guy I'm, <laughs> I'm actually kind of a, a private person I like keeping <laughs> to myself but you know in Japan you'll never have any sort of problem finding someone that's willing to help you if you're in a jam or or, for example, you know, wanting to go and get something to eat, get some AAA steak. Someone is willing to pay you for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To- and to- then- I'm totally hanging out with you when I come to Japan. <laughs> yeah. Call the sponsors. I'm in yeah. town for a week. <laughs> Don, you could go dress up, do the Golden Sheik 2 gimmick, and you could be his, uh, his manager. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Golden Sheik to the second. But <laughs> pay off. You're talking about you hang out lots with the, with the young bucks. Yes. Um, I've seen some of the crazy videos that you guys do and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. you know, having Gallows and Anderson and Talk and Shop, which has now right. become a huge hit on, on Talk is Jericho, because they did it just to keep themselves, like we said earlier, keep themselves sane. Mm-hmm. What are some of the stuff that you and the Bucks do when you're together for three weeks at a time? What we, we always try to brainstorm to give back to the fans. Like, we always feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between what 
they're able to see on New Japan World and then, you know, what we're actually able to give them. Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps they can see some of our house shows. Perhaps they can see some of our t- televised events. But those aren't always going to have English commentary. A lot of guys don't want to stay up till like 4 or 5 a.m. just to watch our 15-minute our match. They can't do it. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they have families. Maybe they have work or school or whatever. Um, so we try to brainstorm these ideas to come up with these little videos and things that we do, sort of like mini documentaries on a week-to-week basis of what we do. That takes up a lot of our time because, you know, we we're not good with technology you know but we 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 don't know how to really edit these things quickly and effectively um we have no budget you know i mean we we can't we can't buy crews of sound crews and special effects crews we're doing it all ourselves right so that's a that's a huge thing for us is just hey let's uh just try something new for the sake of these videos that we're gonna do so you know today you know maybe let's try to find um you know the, the japanese hot shots that play basketball and we'll challenge them to three on three you know we'll do stuff like that and sing Car- Katy perry song exactly that yeah so let's sing karaoke people want to hear us sing maybe and if they don't you know i mean well whatever <laughs> it it's fire- another reason another reason to hate us you know what i mean because a lot of people hate us too and when we like that was it fireworks you guys were singing what song was uh, it? Was? No, um it was it was, it was <laughs> Uh, teenage dream. That was a yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's cool that you have that. Like we never had that in the '90s. Going to Japan, having you know Wi-Fi and cell phones and computers right, and stuff. Yeah. We'd have to watch the same old freaking movies on the bus every time. I must have seen Full Metal Jacket maybe 50 times. Yeah. You know? Or whenever Tiger Chung Lee came with us, Kim Duck, we'd have to watch his three movies: Red Heat, uh, Golden Child, and some with Rutger Hauer. We had to watch it over and over and over <laughs> again. But that was all you had, right? Right. You know, and now it's different now. Yeah. Even when I debuted in 2008 in Japan we didn't have things like that so I was riding like this little rickety bike eventually the pedal broke off and I had to pedal with one leg um, <laughs> I had to, town? to get yeah. to the town no no to, no to get to the internet cafe that oh. was 45 minutes away yeah sounds like a Tony tour yeah, <laughs> yeah so here's right. this bicycle yeah <laughs> But that's so, so. When you're talking about like so over the years, you've been there since 2008, pretty much mm. as a regular. Uh, 2008, I had one tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my first some sort of summertime tour. I was just meant to be a one and done. Uh, they were gonna have me go up against their top guy uh-huh. and just whatever, pack pack me up, send me back on my way home. And so it, was, it was an indie company. I mean, they didn't really have a lot of money. They couldn't keep flying this dude out from Winnipeg. You're talking about from New Japan. Uh, no, this is for a company called DDT. Oh, I'm sorry. I yeah. thought you said you were going to New Japan. No, New Japan is, has only been since 2014 for gotcha. me. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so I was actually with another company for a long period of time. Um, yeah, because that was a that was a, a low level company, like mm-hmm. not a, not quality wise, but right. budget, like you said. Right. Now, it is a very sort of special interest company. They're doing mm-hmm. a lot of really weird stuff, and uh, you know they were running buildings that would maybe max out at like 200, 300 people, um, but they had a one really good guy that really sparked my interest, which is Kota Ibushi, who um, uh-huh. for WWE fans may recognize the name from the CWC. Sure, and he's he's the big top guy there right he now. He is. Yeah, he's he is the man. Um, so I had went there to do a program with him for the summer. And, uh, even though that was supposed to be my only, t- only tour, the match that I had with him, uh, won match of the year honors. Wow. So in one of the magazines, you mean? Yes. And, uh, actually it was for samurai television. Okay. So, wow. yeah. So that had won their match of the year award. And the company sort of felt handcuffed at that point. Like, when's Kenny going to be back? You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? Right, like, yeah, uh, we don't know how to tell you. We had no plans of bringing him back. But okay, we'll bring him back. So they brought me back to do the rematch. And as much as I had wanted to do the rematch, uh, Ibushi and I had thought that 
there was no way we could live up to that original match. Mm-hmm. So we came up with a way to spin that into us being a tag team instead. And us being a tag team ended up winning the next year's match of the year award when we won the belts. So um, from that point on, I had a little bit of job security. And uh, I stayed with DDT, and we had grown and grown and grown um, as a company. And, uh, yeah, uh, finally in the year 2014, I signed with New Japan. Let's talk about um, one of my favorite things that I saw you do is with the match with the little girl. Oh, yes. You got to tell me about this. So have you seen this match, Don? I just saw the uh, kick where you kicked her in the head. Right. There's a little girl. On, and then you did, it was, we did Ibushi do the blow-up doll? Uh, we both had done the you, blow-up the blow doll, doll like probably 10 or 12 times. Because that was yeah. unbelievable. So first tell us about the little girl, then tell us about the blow-up doll. Right. Okay. So the little girl, that's an interesting scenario. We had, um, like I said, we were a small company. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we had grown uh, as sort of the uh, the mainstays of the company to become this number two, three promotion in Japan. We were running Ryogoku Sumo Hall. Um, and we eventually even ran Budokan and Ibushi and I finally had that rematch in 2012 in front of a sold-out Budokan. Okay. Um, but yeah, we were running Ryogoku, and there was this uh, promotion that had a lot of money backed behind it. And um, they were using a lot of like uh, shootboxing, kickboxing girls that were just getting into becoming like Joshi Pro wrestlers. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, when they were scouting talent and recruiting talent, um, in their beginner's class, there was this little girl. And I believe she was seven years old and she was a huge wrestling fan and she was really jealous and heartbroken that all these girls were getting scooped from the shootboxing academy to, to become pro wrestlers when she was the biggest fan of them all. Mm-hmm. So they felt bad and they wanted to find something for her. And so they had asked me because I had done some mixed stuff before in, in Japan um, on the indies and they had said like, you know, Kenny's really good he's safe he's helped some of our developing talents become better and maybe you could work with him for a couple weeks and see if we could get you to a point where you could do something in the ring and so i said yeah sure you know which is so japan like there's no way that would ever happen no probably not right seven-year-old girl in the ring like yes way would that there is no way and and i did feel i you know i had my reservations about it because uh, the the last thing you would want is is for this girl to get hurt. Mm-hmm. You just wouldn't want that to happen. And, and in wrestling, stuff happens. It, it exactly. Yeah. Even if you're as safe as safe can be, sometimes sure. just yeah, just by a it's series the of events of business, unfolding. Man. Yes, yeah, yes, absolutely, exactly. So I had flown in early from my tour just so I could work with this girl, and I showed up to the training center, and they had said like, okay, we're going to show you what she knows. And they kind of ran through quickly what she could do in a ring already. So, I mean, she kind of sort of did like, you know, the Rey Mysterio slash Big Boss Man. You know, she'd hit the second rope instead of the the top, of of course. course. You know, so she could kind of lightly run the ropes. You know, she's seven, so she doesn't want to attack them. But she can kind of run the ropes. She can do like the lucha rolls and things like that. And they're kind of like, hey, we'll, we'll show you some of her kicks. So she's showing like me like standing combinations on the pads and stuff. And I said, okay, I can probably work with this. This is, but what are we working towards? Right. What are we and doing? They, yeah. Um, and they had said, okay, well, on the day of your big show, we were hoping that you could do like an exhibition with her. And it felt like time was, it moved to a snail's pace <laughs> because I saw this grand opportunity in front of me where I could show everyone something special mm-hmm. and something, you know, real fun and funny. But at the same time, it's a huge risk because that's a permanent black eye in your career. It's, it's possibly career suicide. Yes. If you hurt a girl right. 
in front of a, a, whole, a huge sold out Crackwin Hall crowd. And then, you know, that goes online because you know how, yeah, how things yeah. work. On, yeah. And then I just become a laughing stock if I wasn't already. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but I thought the positives outweigh the negative and I was confident. So I said, okay, you know what? I can put something together. And so in that small little bit of time, you can't really start someone from scratch and then just teach them pro wrestling and say, okay, now that I've taught you pro wrestling, let's have a match. Um, I trained her just what she needed to know for the match and treat it and train some of the fundamentals and things like things like selling, you know what I mean? How to sell certain things, how to react to certain things. She had really good sense about how to react to a fight and a fake fight. So we put together a safe match uh, things that would highlight what she could do and me just stumbling around like a bumbling idiot taking all of it. And uh, I loved it. And for a year where I didn't really do revolutionary stuff, I was just kind of just being a top guy in DDT. That was for me in 2011, I think it was. That was like my favorite match of the year. And it's it's a great piece of work if you haven't uh, seen it. Go check it out. But she did the head scissors and there's some stiff kicks in there. Yeah. And, and was there a finish to the match? Uh, no, we did time limit draw. Right. It was like, yeah, it was, we just did a time limit draw and yeah. Uh, did you have any problems? Like, did you stiff her at all or anything? Zero, zero <laughs> problems at all. If Don any, Don would have stiffed her just for the point, for the sake of it. <laughs> Receipt. <laughs> yeah. She was probably stiff. Uh, yeah, I, of course I wanted her to be. Yeah. Yeah. Like stiff as a seven year old. Exactly. Be. Yeah. I mean, right. Right. Yeah. You told her to be stiff and then receded her for me. Yeah. That's what I would have done. Hey kid. <laughs> Welcome to the business kid. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> so then tell us about the, so that, that uh, the other one I love is, is the blow up doll. Right. Now, okay. So we do have this inanimate object that actually has sort of a persona in DDT and his name is Yoshihiko. And, um, and f just as a, as a footnote, we also have an invisible wrestler as well in DDT. <laughs> What's that one's name? Pretty much he, his, his, if you were to translate his name, it would, it'd be like the invisible Schwarzenegger. So <laughs> Disco probably booked that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was an alien. Yeah, I was going to say, man. yeah, the invisible an alien. alien. Invisible <laughs> alien. <laughs> it is an alien with a cloaking device. But anyway. <laughs> um, architecture degree. <laughs> so... Uh, People had worked with this doll before, and he wasn't overly used. And when he was used, he wasn't used in a competitive capacity. But Ibushi and I are really strange, and we just like having a fun time, and we like innovating when we can and where we can. So we decided, let's have a more competitive match with these. Like we're, we're regarded as top guys in this company. Let's... In this, in this crazy world that is DDT, which right. is sort of a world that exists within itself, let's have a match where this guy takes us to the freaking limit. <laughs> and uh, it got so over that we ended up having to do this match over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah, this is it, the epitome of, uh, you know, Flair could have a match with a broomstick. Well, Omega can have a match with a love doll, blow-up doll. Because yeah. if you watch this thing, you forget that it's... Uh, a doll after a while. I mean, yeah, if you're willing to enjoy the match for what it is, I really try to structure it in a way where, yes, this thing is defending, it's attacking, it has a chance of winning. And when we destroy it, you know, because there are times when I've ripped its head off and, you know, there's blood splattering everywhere and we stuff like that. Blood inside of it? Yeah, 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 that was my, yeah. Um, <laughs> we've, we've done weird, all different kinds of weird stuff because you can only do so much, right? So you always have to change it up mm -hmm. and, and make it different next time. But we, we make people 
feel sorry for this thing and make it feel as though you know this is a human being putting its life on the line for the entertainment of the fans. But it's and, a real it's a real art form. Like I said, like I'm not just saying this because it's funny because it is, but the art form of it to literally have a match yeah. with an inanimate object and make people care for it. Like it's it's really yeah. it's really clever. I understand how stupid it sounds. Like if I try to tell anyone that hasn't seen it, right? You know, hey, I wrestled a doll. It's like okay, you're a joke and you're an idiot. But it's not that we just decided hey let's just play with the doll and get paid for nothing mm -hmm. we took a lot of time and an effort to come out with a way that this is going to look legitimate and a way that people would be sucked into this world war you could believe it sure absolutely um and uh well i mean yeah <laughs> the, the more the more i go on about the subject the, the crazier i'll sound so we'll just leave it at that <laughs> that was the the doll was probably a better worker than half the guys you worked in Winnipeg in 1990. Probably a better better worker than Red Bastille oh. Jr. Oh, there you go. There's He's gonna heat. come out of the woodwork and come after me. That <laughs> <laughs> was a pe uh, El Pepe El Furpo or something. Uh, El Flippo. El Flippo. El Flippo. Yeah. There's uh, also a guy called the Tulip. By the oh, way. Oh, I the Tulip made a comeback. What? He made a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He. I. I don't know. Um. Apparently. In Japan. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a story from uh, from what I understand. The tulip um, right now is that he's a mailman, or was a mailman, okay. or or he is whatever it was, and he delivered mail to someone's house who was a local wrestler. And he said, "Hey, wait a minute! I have seen you on IWA television, probably versus Don Callis, and I know that you're a wrestler. And what are you up to, man? How are you doing?" And he's you know introduced himself as, as being a local wrestler and hey maybe you should think about coming back next time he <laughs> delivered mail to his house he seemed interested so he made a comeback to rcw that made a comeback locally and um <laughs> recently uh not not recently recently this is going back like maybe four years already okay. but um to see the tulip again after i kind of grew up watching the tulip on iwa tv was kind of cool oh, he, yeah. he, he uh his gimmick was the world's worst wrestler and he yes. was too dumb to realize that the minute that he won a match, he was going to kill his gimmick. Mm -hmm. But he wanted to win so badly because he wanted to propose to his wife in the ring on Tony's oh. TV right after the win. Tremendous. I That's love, money. too, that he had the classic fried blonde hair, which I believe the Golden Sheik yeah. had as well. He did. He did. And I also yeah. remember I went and saw Don Callis, uh, The Natural. You guys had a, a, a card down. I can't remember where it was, but I remember Como wrestled some Kamala thing that you guys had. And the Golden Sheik was there, and everyone was chanting Golden Shower at him. That was the big... <laughs> They used to call him Welfare Sheik because his like his outfit was not luxurious right, at all. It was yeah. just like yellow spandex. But Welfare Sheik. <laughs> there were some good guys there. Uh, who else? We got Easy Rider. That was good. Gene Swan. Oh, that was a Gene yeah. Swan in the uh, uh, Cruiserweight Tournament. Apparently was. Yeah. yeah, apparently was. Easy Rider still doing his thing in the city. Is there still like? Do you keep an eye on the local scene going I, on in uh, Winnipeg? I do. Um, and uh, actually, with uh, every now and then, and I'll say like maybe once or twice, twice, twice a year, I'll make a brief appearance uh, locally with one of Don's old trainees, who is all all since but retired. But you know, we do kind of like a little bit of a comedy act. And who's that? Just, uh, is Chris, I told you about. Uh, oh, Chris Stillwell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his wrestling name? Uh, Chris Stevens. Chris Stevens. Gotcha. Yeah. I did yeah. not come up with that. <laughs> yeah, he's right. No, you, you came up with Chris Kotex actually because he was I don't so. Think I called him. That. No, you did. Okay. Yeah, because he's got a he's got a pale white complexion with red hair, so he looks like a tampon. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I am not. Uh... And 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 because he was always in a bad mood. That's what <laughs> you said. I don't think yeah. I came up with that at all. Let's get into some Bruce Hart <laughs> territory <Yeah>. there. <laughs> so we're getting ready for for. for this Tokyo 
judo match. So I got a right. couple of final questions. How did you switch your style? We mentioned like how mm-hmm. you, you you switched your per- promos and your personality, but going from a cruiserweight style, quote unquote, yes. to heavyweight, which yeah. in Japan there is a difference. Did you change your style or did you just keep it the same? Um, there is sort of, uh, I mean, the, the booking position of a cruiserweight is always going to be at a certain point in the card and you're always going to get sort of a certain amount of time to do um, that match. I mean, that goes with any any card anywhere in, on a wrestling show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also sort of this expected style of what cruiserweight wrestling is supposed to be. And the talent that you're working with is going to work their style. They're going to work the way they want to. Um, so as much as I was trying to work a very different, controlled and methodic pace as a cruiserweight i wasn't able to do what i wanted to do until like literally right until i made the switch to heavyweight i started to have um less of just sort of like go 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 matches and more uh, matches with a story behind Mm -hmm. so it wasn't tough to really segue that style to becoming a heavyweight um it was just a, a matter of putting some weight back on my bones because i was uh i was dieting hard to, to kind of stay lighter mm-hmm. um but japan you have to have a little more beef when you're exactly yeah. yeah 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 so I'm, i'll never be a huge guy and like a, a huge huge guy and um i'll always sort of be expected to be an, an athletic guy so mm-hmm. i was finding the balance of looking aesthetically bigger but still being able to perform like an athlete but the me- the way the matches went, um, it, w- it was easy because the heavyweights were already kind of They're, yeah working correctly. It's really changed now. I think yeah. you notice this too, Don. How even in WWE, if you're looking like Rollins or Ambrose or Sammy or Owens or the guys that are working on top, they still work like that's what I laugh about the, the CWC, the Cruiserweight Tournament, mm. the Cruiserweight Classic. The heavyweight guys are doing almost as many you know cruiserweight yes. type moves as the cruiserweights. Do. Yeah. So you, know, you notice yeah. that. So what really bang. separates, yeah, where's the line of separation? It's tough right, to sometimes right, tell. Right. Um, and that's just, um, and, and even Don had mentioned this before, like guys just generally in the wrestling business are more athletic. So you don't have to be a cruiserweight to do a moonsault. You know what I mean? Right. There, there's, there, are, there are heavyweights, there are guys like sure. you that easily do moonsaults on, an, on a nightly basis and do them beautifully. So what what separates the cruiserweight division now from being a heavyweight division? You know, what separates a guy from being too small to be heavyweight from being, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's deciding that line and creating that difference yourself, I think, in the way that you portray yourself in front of a live crowd. And that's the most important part. When you're going to do the Tokyo Dome show, I'm sure you've done Tokyo Domes many, many times, but never in the main event. Mm. Uh, do, do you structure the match a certain way? Is there, are you a little yes. bit intimidated about it? Or is no, it just um, I've excited? always looked at the Tokyo Dome as like, this is, this is our celebration. It's like a party, you know what I mean? Um, almost like a reward. We've worked hard all year, had matches, yeah all year at every you know sort of backwater town uh great arenas small arenas um we've had high stakes shows where we've had to go you know a half hour or more um where you had to you had to perform you had to have a match of the year caliber show or a match of the year caliber match and then the tokyo dome is more like this is new japan you know Mm -hmm. this is this is us and you know wrestlemania Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. For lack of a better term, when you um uh, uh when you're talking about what was I going to say? Um, don't ask him something. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, you did a project with a guest, a frequent guest of ours, Doctor Luther. I did wrestling retribution project. So, there's a couple of things I was asked to ask you about. Mm-hmm. 
the first one a little more serious you did a moonsault where you shattered a ten thousand dollar chandelier in the process right which must just be a tremendous visual can you tell us a little bit about that all right so um we were doing this wrestling revolution project i can't remember what it was supposed to be called or what it ended up being called but at some point in time it was wrp and it was kind of like fantasy booking come to life funded by some dude that I think used to work for Fox. Uh, he came up with a certain amount of money to pay a bunch of wrestlers and he was able to make matches that he wanted to have in his fantasy booking league come true. So he rented out the Jim Henson studio in Hollywood, California. He gave us all different names and we lived in this Jeff Katz universe which is the name of this dude for Wrestling Revolution Project. I was Scott Carpenter, I think. <laughs> yeah, Scott Carpenter was a... Uh, what was the gimmick? It's what do one. you think it was? A carpenter? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you the cleaner in Japan? Yeah, I'm, yeah, and then I, be, and then I went on to become the cleaner. So what I'm just, I'm 80s? a jack of all trades. What are you, an 80s WWE yeah. guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, Carl the Machine Gun Anderson uh, was renamed as Killshot. That's not bad. He was in that too? He was in that too. And in this match, they had said like, okay, this is the match. Like this, is, this isn't going to be the main event match or this is going to be the sort of like the workhorse <laughs> tournament match because this is all uh, – season one was supposed to be this tournament of who's going to be the wrestling revolution. Well, th the idea of the show was it was going to be a one – like a 13-episode yes. beginning, middle, end, like, 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 like a Breaking Bad or, or yes. something. Yeah, exactly. It was supposed to play out like a television drama, which is what I liked about the idea. Mm -hmm. But then seeing it all be filmed and seeing how many – corners were cut and just seeing how poorly managed it was i had quickly realized that wait a minute this guy just wants to sit in his throne and watch us wrestle mm. that's it which i mean he was paying us so we did what we were paid to do but on the second day we had all thought okay this is never going to see the light of day but anyways onto the match um they want us to have this great match and i thought okay for a little bit of flavor I trust Carl. He's a fantastic worker. I, I trust that if I dive, he's going to give me a good catch. So I had this idea where I was going to do a reverse springboard and, and moonsault onto him. And I thought it'd be pretty cool. You know, I was a little younger. It was 2011. You know, things like that didn't scare me as much. Back then. <laughs> so I thought I could, I could do it and get away with it. Oh, and you know what? For the record, I went to the, uh, the agents of the match <laughs> Beforehand, I went to uh, Christopher Daniels, and uh, I went to Lance as well, Lance Storm, <laughs> and I said, hey, um, you know, we didn't really get uh, strict instruction of what you guys were expecting from this match. However, I had this idea where, you know, maybe I could do a dive where I do a reverse springboard on where like kind of like where the rampway area is and then moonsault out. I said, what do you guys think of that? And Lance said, well, I think it's fantastic. Can you do it? Yeah. Okay, do it. And uh, uh, Christopher Dan is like, I don't see a problem. Why are you even asking? Hey, that's all I need to know. So I go to do this moonsault. I typically don't do them very often because I don't really trust the catcher, but I trusted Carl Anderson. So I go to go do it, and I got way more hang time than I should have. My body launched itself into this crystal chandelier that just shattered as I was <laughs> arced and doing the moonsault through it. So as I did it, it exploded. Wow. And there's like glass, like shimmering and glimmering glass, like raining down upon us. 
And uh, it could have been very dangerous. I did cut my hand a little bit, but it could have been way worse. Sure. And it was just this insane visual of, of this beautiful sort of like Swarovski or whatever you call it, like Swarovski crystals, yeah, Swarovski crystals <laughs> breaking everywhere. And and did uh, you land okay? I landed fine. Yeah, yeah. He still caught me fantastically. Uh, we went on to have a, a great match, but the Booker was or. Jeff or the producer or whatever you want to call him the money guy he was very mad and he had said like okay this is going to cost me a lot of money and you are now officially working the rest of this tour for free I didn't well, I didn't know what, so did what Lance yeah, told yeah, yeah. me was he said Kenny asked me if he could do it because he was concerned about there was some concern about being able to clear this thing and Lance said I thought he meant he was doing it into the ring so I was like oh that is like, true that like, is of true of course you're not going to hit that you'll never <laughs> right. hit that but he thought he was going in not out that okay th that part is true or yeah, Lance sorry. Do one but of the two here's something else that's true that no one knows guess who the funding of that guy was, the, the, the money man behind that show was what idiot funded that me no yes I thought it was a, I thought it was a no that, yeah that, hit, hit him up for the rest of your yeah 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 yeah, the guy, the guy who, by the way, huh? So you possibly it. have the footage of this then? Or no, right that's the, the thing. It never, oh. I never saw the footage. I never heard anything about it. You guys oh. did this big taping. With, like I had no idea that you were involved and that Anderson was involved. Like yeah. there was, I think Gallows was there. He was. Like, he was. Like who were some of the other guys? Like look. so, it was. Uh, it was myself. It was Anderson. It was Gallows. Amazing Red uh, MVP. Uh, Chris Masters. It's a pretty good crew of guys. Yeah, they're all very and, good and workers. And the idea behind it was, like you said, it was going to be a, a, a episode one through episode twelve, and sold to Netflix and all this other yes. bullshit. And I actually thought it was a great idea, and I thought at that time it could have worked had you know it gone the way that it was explained to me and would have worked. But the way unfortunately, that it didn't, uh, it didn't pan out the way, and I lost all the cash. I never saw one minute of footage. I've got an idea for a wrestling company I'd like to pitch to you. <laughs> <laughs> At least I know that yours would make TV. <laughs> that's an edit, Stacy. That's an edit. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm from Winnipeg, you idiot. Yeah. What's your end game? Uh, do you want to ever go back to the WWE again? Do you have any plans of that or any thoughts about that? I once had this whole plan laid out of like where I was going to go, how I was going to end up. And now it's strangely changed from like this day-to-day -day plan. There was a time... When I was in um, New Japan, especially when AJ was there, and I was sort of like delegated to being, you know, you're the cruiser guy, mm -hmm. AJ's our heavyweight guy. Mm -hmm. We know you can wrestle with the heavyweights. We all know that, but you're you the know, same size. You know, yeah, exa yeah, exactly. He says, but you know, guess what? AJ's here. Mm -hmm. You know, so AJ's going to be that guy. You're going to be that guy. So I was like, okay, completely fine. Like uh, I think AJ is one of the greatest of all time. So I had no qualms about kind of being second banana to him even though I wanted to be first banana, you know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. But I understood at that point in time that like, okay, I just want to do the best I can in that position. So my goal sort of became there. I want to be the best cruiser champion this place has had for a long time. And then when suddenly I showed up before the Tokyo Dome and they said, oh, guess what? AJ and Shinsuke are leaving. Oh, crap. 
this is a chance. Like, mm-hmm. what about my plan? Well, screw the plan. I want AJ's spot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then my plan changed from being, okay, I can be the bullet club leader. I can be a heavyweight now. This is crazy. And then they said, okay, we, we're thinking of maybe programming with Tanahashi and we're going to get you in the intercontinental title scene. Okay, well, I want to be the best intercontinental champion this company has seen. And I want to do a bunch of industry firsts. Um, not industry first, company firsts. Mm-hmm. So I suggested having the ladder match, a, a match that, that no one's Never ever done. Never in Japan. Yeah, yeah just it wouldn't Did do that. Did that get over? Yeah, oh yeah, it got over yeah, huge. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, it, it was it was fantastic. And they said like, you, we want to do it again at some point, which is great. I hope they don't overdo it, but mm-hmm. as long as they're open to doing it again and the, the fans were happy with it, I'm, I was really happy. Um, so yeah, uh, we had the Intercontinental title run and, and it went really well. Lost the title, no big deal. Um, and they're like, okay, you know, great. You're over. I, I accomplished my goal. And they're like, okay, you're going to win the G1. Um, and I didn't know that until, you know, the day before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, the, the day before the finals, mind you. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, this is huge. Like this is kind of blown up into something that I never thought was even possible. I couldn't plan for this goal. Like, you can't plan. Like I'm gonna plan for the booker to book me in something cool. You know what I mean? How do you how do you do that? You know what I mean? Um, so it's really just day by day, and I'm just sort of being prepared for anything at this point. And I just want to I want to do things that the company hasn't done and I really want to take the company outside of its comfort zone and do things they've never done before and I sort of am a little outspoken in my interviews and stuff and I've sort of booked my own angles a lot with this company mm-hmm. um, and I force their hand like I you know I'll say things like if I win the title I'm going to take the title and I'm going to book a new Japan show in America or whatever and no, don't say that we have no plans for this you know what I mean <laughs> or um, you know I want to challenge this guy and like you're not going to wrestle this guy. Like, don't say that. But then I'll, I'll keep saying it. You know what I mean? And then they'll feel like they have to do it. And then whatever, I bring my A game and it turns out well. They, sure, they never, sure, sure. Yeah. I would never suggest to anyone to model their career after mine because I've been in complete A-hole about it. And I've always <laughs> put myself on the line, put my whole entire career on the line on a daily basis. I should have been fired a million times, but... It was all for the greater good, and I was just lucky that when it was when push came to shove, that um, it worked out in my benefit. Sure, right? They, yeah. they must be terrified that WWE is, is going to steal you. The same um, with AJ in the club, right? Uh, <laughs> I think the fans are a little worried. The company is is a little worried, but um, I, I do think that has helped in the trust factor. Mm-hmm. So when I come up with a wacky idea that may sound just crazy to them, like like the ladder match, for example, something they would never do. They're at least open to hearing me out now mm-hmm. because they're worried that if they say no, right. you know, okay, he's gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. Now. Yeah, exactly. What's your, what's your favorite match you ever had? Is the one that stands out? Oh, geez. Um, I'm really sort of proud of of the entire G1 that I had this year. That's a grueling tournament. Yeah, it was exactly because it was a really grueling tournament from start to finish. I had sort of went into the tournament itself to sort of prove naysayers wrong. People had sort of painted me as this guy that was just a goofball and you know, I couldn't work a lick and yada 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 yada. I used that tournament to sort of vault myself into a situation to prove that, you know, these things that you wish that I was, that I that you want me to be, you know, I can do all of these things that you think a good wrestler is supposed to do. It's just that I'm doing what I want to do. 
And I sort of spun that into doing it in a way that I thought was good for the tournament, good for me, didn't uh, slight fans that liked what I had done leading up to the G1. And moving forward, gave them sort of a more clear idea of, of where Kenny Omega, the character, was going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what is the character of Kenny Omega? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> but you mentioned... But, you, 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 the question. But you get it. You're talking about character, character, character. So you, when you're in a New Japan ring, what yeah. exactly is it? Can okay, you... well, I guess to know where it was going, um, it would help to know where it was, what it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. When I was given the Kenny Omega, the cleaner gimmick that I'm using now... Meaning, what's the cleaner? Well, that's the thing. What is the cleaner, right? It was meant... Because of the Bullet Club, you know, the bullets and guns, the cleaner was supposed to be sort of like an assassin character. Okay, gotcha. You know, the guy that cleans up the, uh, you know, the murder site or whatever it is <laughs> after after there's a hit put out on someone. Yeah. Um, like Winston Wolfe in Pulp Fiction? Yes, yes, right. yes. Exactly. There you go. So, um, and the, or the, the idea that they gave me, I was supposed to be like the dude from The Professional. Um, they wanted me to be very silent, very cold. The way that I had pictured it, because um, New Japan takes a lot of influence from from WWE, the way they book things, mm. the way they model their characters. It sort of felt like they wanted me to be like Ringmaster Steve Austin. Gotcha. You know, where he had mouthpieces around him at all times, where he was more or less silent, and he was just a very calculated, cold individual. And I had always pictured myself, you know, more like you, you know, where, yes, I can wrestle, but I'm also, I can, I can speak for myself, mm-hmm. you know, um, I have this original style I want to show to the world. I don't want to kind of just be a, a beat down, bruise you up kind of dude and then have, you know, Carl Anderson cut all my promos for me. Right. I don't, don't want to have to do that. And, you know, they had other ideas too. Like I was going to have fake tattoos on my fingers and stuff and show them to the camera. Like, and I can't remember what it was going to say, like clean up or, or and it just, I just didn't feel it. <laughs> so not as a way to act out, but I sort of took the literal term of the cleaner and I started bringing like janitorial items to the ring with me. So I took like garbage cans and brooms and mops. Mop. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, we started using uh, cold spray for whatever reason in our matches. It's so, a foreign object. Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the cleaner gimmick became something entirely different. And I think that's when fans of that strong style, you know, the very serious, you're fighting the guy in the ring, New Japan style, that's where I sort of lost a lot of, right. you know, of those viewers. Mm-hmm. But I do understand that every fan is, is important. I, I want every fan to, if I can, to come out of a match or a show enjoying what they've watched. So I wanted to show to these guys, you know, I'm not disrespecting your company. I'm not disrespecting the business. Um, I can wrestle. <laughs> so slowly but surely, even though there's sort of like, you know, the me and the Young Bucks partying, having fun, Kenny Omega, you know, I wanted to show that once there were serious matches, you know, once there are these singles encounters, that I could turn it up and give you guys, you know, Kenny Omega fighting for his life. Yeah. So um, it's sort of been a, a, a year-long evolution of the character and just showing people what, what it is that I am. And, uh, and I guess what Kenny Omega is, you know, even though the image is sort of what was given to me by New Japan and then tweaked by me, it's just me, Tyson Smith. You know what I mean? A guy that Tyson Smith. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. So (laughs) it's, it's just a guy that likes to joke around when he doesn't have to be serious. And then when he has to be serious, he's really serious. You (laughs) You know what I mean? Where did you get Kenny from? Okay. Well, (laughs) I, we were in high school and it was sort of like, Hey, 
this is like when the, the NWO boom came about. So this is when like, you know, Razor Ramon and, and Diesel would reveal that like their names were actually Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Right, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, what? You know what I mean? Like they're going to wrestle as their real names. Like these guys all... Like it seems all, so. It seems so exactly normal, but at the time it was unbelievable. Like Kevin Nash, that's yeah. not a wrestling name. Exactly, exactly. So they're like, geez, like I know they're wrestling as themselves, but like, I guess I need a character name like that. Mm. Um, and I actually, remember that you said when you'd first, you'd always thought my name was Kenny, and because I said, why would you change your name? When exactly. You're Tyson yes. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Great work, man. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. Good mark. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But at the time when I was in school, I felt like I got to come up with something. So I wanted, um, I, I was set on using Omega. And I was like, what could I add to Omega? Not to sound like I was some kind of like, um, you know, supernatural being, but just like a normal dude. And I just thought that Kenny like flowed into the yo. So it's like Kenny yo Omega. You know what I mean? And that, that's it. That's, that's, that's all that's it was. It. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's, and, it's, and it kind of stuck. It's better than Timmy Omega. Right. Yeah. 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 Last question. This is for all, all of us. Give me your top three local Winnipeg wrestlers. Oh. So I'm going to start. I'm going to go with uh, Stan Saxon was one. I worked with him quite a bit. Kind yeah. of a normal looking guy. Kind of a big guy. But uh, a yeah. nice haircut. Uh, great voice. Great He's in radio. Voice. Yeah. Is he in radio now? He's in radio. Yep. No kidding. In Winnipeg? Uh, no. Like, I think Grand Rapids oh, or something. Wow. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Stan Saxon. Then there's the Lil Bulkster, who was a guy Bulkster. that Tony had. Do you remember this guy, Lil Bulkster? I had to wrestle him. So, yes, I remember him well. <laughs> he was Five a, foot two and 250. And Tony called him the Lil, the Lil. L-I-L. Yeah, Lil, yeah. Lil Balkster. Apostrophe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was in a Red River uh, Community College, shout out to them, I had to go do, I went and did a, a newspaper piece on the Lil Balkster because I actually contacted Tony yeah. and asked if I could do a story on his promotion. And he said, do a story on the Lil Balkster. So I went and met up with the guy. He's about five foot two, giant power lifter. Uh, oh. Didn't last very long, though. Don. No, he was the shits. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> horrifyingly bad. There you go. And, and when I would get in the ring with him, like I was like 6'2 or whatever. Yeah. And this guy, like, legit was five foot two. And it didn't matter at that point how big he was. It just looked ridiculous. <laughs> and I would have him press slam me, and it was like taking a, yeah. it was like taking a hip toss yeah. from Lance or something. It was like, that's how high you'd have to bump. He was terrible. The other one was Captain Jones. Oh, my Captain God. Jones. The worst ever. Because <laughs> you know what? He's Sailor gimmicks are money, kid. Yeah, oh, just okay. keep that in mind. What's that, Don? Sailor well, gimmicks are money. Yeah. Try that. In they had, they put him in a blue bodysuit. You know, they just looked like a high school teacher. Yeah, and a yachtsman. A little yachtsman hat. And I yeah, actually worked, worked for Tugboat. You know, I worked with yeah. him uh, one of my first tapings here at the, wow. the, the whatever it was. We used to work He's at the nice Diamond guy, Club. He's terrible. What? Oh, awful. I remember yeah. one of those guys, you give him a drop kick instead of taking a flat bike bump, he, t- he looks like he fell off a skateboard. Like he jumps up in the air and then kind of falls down. Yeah, half yeah, half, yeah. Like an old man <laughs> bump. So, yeah, who, who you got? Well, I guess I have to include Chris Kotex, and I'm still yes. not saying that I, I'm not, still not saying I took credit for that. Yes. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Ivan the Smashing Machine Szynski, mm, who yep, was Kristoff yep. Szynski, who became a UFC star of really? some note. Yes. Yep. I trained him to be a wrestler which he wasn't great, and uh, you probably were stiffed by him several times. Oh, yeah, multiple times. And then yeah. uh, I sent him out to Bad News to learn some shoot, and he fell in love with UFC, so there you go. Okay. So people say I don't have a shoot background. I have a shoot <laughs> you background. You have a shoot background, yeah. And then probably the GIMP would be number one. The Kenny, GIMP. What do you think? GIMP would be, would be very the high up was there. money. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> career was all downhill after that, though. <laughs> it's the, I, Who was <laughs> the GIMP? He was a local guy. I thought you were telling me that it was Kenny. We're running Georgies. No, no. You're, you're stomping grounds. Yeah, Georgies. We're running yeah. Georgies. And I couldn't afford what Georgie's was paying me to hire like 
What were they paying Real you to do a show? $2,000. That's not bad. So I said the guys could all make 20 bucks because I wanted to pocket $1,800. <laughs> that was my, I was my intellectual property. So anyway, so this was, so all these local guys had never met showed up for the $20 payoff. And um, this guy shows up and he's like, Six four, skinny fat guy, zits on his back, pale, no money. Well, no, really though, he's in a lot better shape now. He's in a lot better shape now. But at that time, and he had this like kayfabe gimmick. I'm like, what? Like, what is this? He's like, well, I cover myself up. So I, for some reason, had a pair of speedos in my in my bag because I think I had them as undertights. And I'm like, put those on. They're like a 32 waist. He's like. Well, these are way too small. I go, exactly. So he puts them on, and like, it was tremendous. And he's like, oh, I feel really stupid. And I'm like, dude, I go, no one's going to make fun of you being fat. And we put the zipper mask on him, the leather zipper mask. And he eventually became part of Lenny's uh, crew when Lenny was a champion here, along with little person evil Brian and a sidekick named Lingula. Yeah. I think I actually think you even called him Lingula number two. Like it's like as if he was one of the Vilanos. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a family of Lingula. Del, del Lingula. <laughs> Who you got, Kenny? Del Lingula del Hill. He was also known uh, as the Pet Shop Boy, just by the way. Right, right. Oh man, like, you, your guys' list are so good. And I was actually thinking, legitimately, who my favorite workers in the city are. I'll give him a shout out. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, I, I got to give him a little bit of credit because he helped train me actually when no one else would when I was in an empty uh, facility. Uh, he goes by Mentalo. Uh, Mentalo. Yeah, Mentalo. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, had a little bit of um, success in Mexico and Japan. Um, uh, great, great guy. Uh, I wouldn't have had any sort of base to do any anything in the city and i wouldn't have been nearly good enough to be on your shows don if it wasn't for him so uh Hello. yeah definitely gotta give him a show and make uh, that twenty dollars at georgie's he got me yeah. made more than that yeah uh mike angels if you have watched any of my i guess more notable internet matches there's a match where i'm wrestling um in my my cottage area which is like the, the such king a of, canadian word by the way cottage yeah cottage a cab cabin i don't know um yeah it's it's called the king of the anywhere match uh it was sort of uh, my introduction video to getting to the indies in japan um and he was my opponent there uh, master of the stomach claw fantastic worker could have easily made something of himself but he became a, a successful teacher so okay there you go yeah Good. give it to um, mike angels and uh you know the referee of that match i'll say it was was raw skills with a Z. Of course, because he, he was, you know, you got to <laughs> sound cool and funky that way. But all, all jokes aside, Ross Skills, um, you know, one of the guys that we would come to the arena, the arena, the bar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, every week. And we would we would be there with Mentolo and Mike Angels. And we would just hammer out stuff that we'd seen on tapes because we had no trainer. So we had to show, we had to watch it and then and then mimic what we had seen to actually get some sort of, of real live, live training mm -hmm. in pro wrestling. So one of my past training buddies, um, some of the best matches I had in year one of my career, year one and two and three, I guess. Um, yeah. Those are the dudes, and here you are, boat ready yeah, to headline. But I mean, the yeah. Tokyo Dome. It's a good, uh, it's a good mix of Winnipeggers here. It's a good, uh, we made a lot of money between the three of us. Top talent. There you go, yeah. kid. <laughs> I got a couple of blow up dolls in the car. If you need an extra one. For yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you borrow them from Lance again? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Actually, I, I do got a five seven one for you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th this doesn't have to be on air. Oh, but, we um, are you, uh, it could be. Oh no. Um, and I always wanted to know the connection because now I'm, I'm jogging my memory when he came up with the, uh, the question of how did I come up with Kenny Omega and I thought of it when I was at school. Actually, at that school, one of my teachers had said that he was your friend. And if that is true, we had sort of indirectly 
or you have indirectly given me a gift. When I was in high school, I had received a Blind Guardian album from you. What? Yeah. You like Blind Guardian? I love Blind Guardian. I was in a huge power metal phase, and um, he's like, it, he'd seen that Who I was, was wearing the name? T-shirt. Who was it? I don't. I, oh. I, I I think it was Daniel. Daniel or David? Mr. Martins. Yeah, Dan Martins. Yeah, yeah, okay, Dio. there it is. His nickname is Dio. Yeah, there Dan you go. Dan Martins. Yeah. So, so how did you get a Blind Guardian record from him? Um, he had seen that I was wearing a shirt, uh, and he's like, hey, you like Blind Guardian? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll give you something tomorrow. So I showed up, and he gave me imaginations from the other side. <laughs> That's right. And he's giving it to me, and he's like, well, geez, thanks, man, because I just bought my first album the other day and just became like an overnight fan. And uh, I was like, well, thanks. He's like, well, don't thank me. Thank Jericho. And I was <laughs> like, go, I was like, what? I was like, I, th I thought he was just like ribbing me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. haha, you dumb wrestling mark. Like, yeah, thank, go thank Stone Cold Steve Austin, you loser. No, you know that's what I mean? True. That's but true. yeah, you guys are really friends. Yeah, so, you are really friends. Yeah. I really did give him the Blind Guardian record. He gave it to you. So yeah. there you go. There you go. Indirectly. Here we yes. are 15 years later. Regifted it. Regifted it. I know. Yeah. 15 years later. Yeah. The All Indian right. giver, Dan Martins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back to Toronto. From Winnipeg, you idiot. Thanks to Kenny Omega and my special co-host Cyrus from Killing the Town. Had a great time talking wrestling, getting wild in Winnipeg. I'm sure we're going to see more great things from Kenny Omega no matter what he does or where he goes. Is he going to stay with New Japan? Is he going to go to uh, to uh, to WWE? I don't know. But we're going to find out very soon. And as for Cyrus, he and Lance Storm are also killing on Killing the Town. They had a great interview with Kenny Omega. If you listen to both, you know that I uh, took the Chandelier story from their uh, interview and put it into mine because I thought it was so great. I wanted everybody to hear it. But more great insight uh, with, with Kenny, uh, Shane Douglas, uh, Paul Lazenby uh, did a live on-the-spot report of Kenny's match from the Tokyo Dome. That's on this week's Killing the Town. Go check it out. Very, very intelligent discussing discussion. Also, great debate over where... Uh, um, well, uh, over if uh, Japanese fans or Amer North American fans, which ones are better. So go check that out. Uh, great time uh, with Kenny and Cyrus Wild in Winnipeg. Thanks again to Joe Sacco and Canada Inns on Pamela Highway there in Winnipeg for lending us the uh, boardroom and helping us get this done. Great, great times. Love Winnipeg. Love Kenny. Love Cyrus. I love all of you. All right. You got to check out all the great shows that we got for you here on the Jericho Network, including Killing the Town. Uh, that's uh, every Tuesday. Hit subscribe at iTunes and Stars. Go and hit the subscribe button for all the great Jericho Network podcasts, the flagship show, Keep It at 100 with Conan. New episodes every Thursday, Conan, Disco, and the gang. Never know who's going to show up, what they're going to talk about. Lots of laughs, lots of fun, lots of ball busting. Great, great pop culture laughs every Sunday morning with Team Tiger Awesome. Monday, truly engaged, do a great job bringing the humor to uh, the Jericho Network. They're also looking for your help into what to call their fandom, and they're trying to predict what kind of a future we're we heading towards. Is it going to be Terminator? Is it going to be Judge Dredd? Is it going to be... Uh, 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 minority Report. Go check that out and tweet them at TT Awesome and help them decide which future are we heading for. Is it True Re Total Recall? Is it Blade Runner? They are going to be uh, discussing that. They are discussing it. They did discuss it and they want to know your thoughts. And of course, our new paranormal show, Beyond the Darkness, is kicking ass and doing so good, terrifying everybody. It's doing so much scariness, so terrifying, so horrific that we're going to move that show to five days a week. 
That's right, five days a week with Beyond the Darkness, Darkness Radio. The whole Darkness Radio franchise is coming to the Jericho Network. They already do five shows a week uh, on their terrestrial radio. Well, that's done. We're bringing it all here to the Jericho Network, Beyond the Darkness, starting Monday, January 23rd, five days a week to scare the pants off you daily. Thanks for listening to all my great shows, and thanks to you, the Talk is Jericho fans, for supporting all my great sponsors and for doing all your shopping through the Talk is Jericho Amazon links. Easiest way to support the show. Remember, you can find my Amazon links at podcast1.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page. Hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for USA, UK, Canada, A. Every time you use them Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs. Buy anything you want. There's no extra fees or hidden charges. Just go to podcast1.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. All right. You find all my other great sponsors there as well, including DDP Yoga. Get 25% off all DDPY merch and swag at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Don't forget about True Car. Don't forget about Geico. And don't forget about the biggest podcast ever. When Mick Foley joins Talk is Jericho, countdown rolls on 59 days and counting. So excited about that and so excited for you to hear the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. And on Wednesday, a good friend of mine in the wrestling business uh, down on his luck. He's hitting some hard times. We're going to try and help him get him back on his feet. The extremely entertaining, very interesting, and uh, about as straightforward as you can get. Perry Saturn is going to be here on Talk is Jericho. Um, We're going to talk all about his highs his lows he's having some tough times right now gofundme.com slash perry saturn if you want to throw a couple bucks his way he could use it he's a good guy he's a genuine guy and i'm very excited to have him on talk is jericho i think you're gonna love it perry saturn on wednesday uh, thank you so much have a safe weekend peace love and hugs and a big yeah boy how's it going eh You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcast1.com.